scripture reading is from Romans 8, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read from the back so I don't have to wear my glasses. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that just so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. All right. How many more sleeps until Christmas? Who knows? How many more sleeps? Four. Four. 21, 22, 23, 24. If you're, you know, if your family not cheats, but if you have the tradition of Christmas Eve, then it's only three. That's kind of a bonus. Tell me, um, what is your favorite Christmas present ever? What is your favorite Christmas present? Just stick up your hand and tell us. Yeah, Amanda? All your dad wanted for Christmas was a daughter like you. That's, that's gorgeous. That's something to hang on to, right? And that's what makes Christmas such a tough time for some of us because we remember folks that we've lost, right? Yeah, that's beautiful. What else? What is any, right at the back, yeah.
That's neat. So your mom put so much time, poured so much time into the opening the present was really an event, wasn't it? And then a phonograph inside. That's beautiful. Anybody else? Yeah. Cabbage Patch Kids, right. Your, your mom must have been a hockey mom. She went in with elbows to get those, no? Those Cabbage Patch Kids, good. Good for her. Okay, one more. Anybody here? Yes, Sylvia. Kalekas restaurant, okay, yeah. Wow. Wow, that you still have so a doll and a dolly bed and special dishes. That's great. Good, good memories. Isn't it interesting how some of those. Okay, now we sound, some of us, for some of us, those, how those low-tech gifts are uh, some of the most memorable, right? Well, we'll be talking about our favorite Christmas present. What, I know this is an outrageously, this may sound like an outrageously dumb question, which, of course, Rick Hill is becoming famous for at Elam Chapel. But what is the best thing about Christmas for us? We've been talking about all these neat Advent experiences. Don't you love what Bodo's been doing with the kids? I just, I, it's not really fair because everyone remembers the kids' story and no one remembers the sermon, which I totally understand. So I'm just going to ride on his coattails today, all right? As usual, we've been talking about light and glory and grace and truth. I knew you remembered all those things, you remember all the illustrations. And today we're talking about life, right? And that's why we thought it's no good playing with the stuff. Why play with a stuffed bunny when you can have the real thing, right? And that's why we wanted to bring uh, a live rabbit into uh, church today, uh, sort of like the Christmas bunny, not the Easter bunny, but the Christmas bunny. And it's always, it's such a blessing to have a pet store owner connected with your children's ministry. You never... um, go wanting for for props. But we want to talk about life this morning because Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Easy verse to remember, John 10, 10. The thief, Satan, our enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's why Jesus came So we could have life, not existence, not squeaking by, but life to the full. Luann and I have been reading through uh, an excellent Advent book this month that that she got and uh, graciously has been reading to me. And um, there's an interesting quote from Carl Sagan, who's a very uh, famous uh, astronomer and... um, really into cosmology. If you know anything about cosmology, Carl Sagan is kind of the father of that uh, field of study. And this is what he said about our situation on planet Earth. In our obscurity, in all the vastness of the universe, there is no hint that help will come from anywhere to save us from ourselves. 
Let me read this encouraging quote again. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from anywhere to save us from ourselves. Wow. Who can save us? Who can change us? Is there any hope out there? And that's the question that Advent sort of prepares us for. And and as Christians, we believe there is an answer. We believe that Jesus came not to just get us through life, but to give us life to the full, the way we were intended to live it. Now, this doesn't intend, this doesn't mean that you won't have any more struggles in life. In fact, most of us who follow Jesus can attest to the fact it gets tougher. When you start following Jesus, it gets tougher. But there's more joy. You know why you're here. Life starts to make sense. You get the big picture. You go, ah, now I get it. Has anyone here in their experience following Jesus had a problem-free life? Shoot, I was hoping that someone else would be able to take over the sermon today, but I don't see any hands. Jesus says, look, I guarantee it. You know, you're going to follow me. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have tough times. But I will be with you. Jesus came to bring us life and have it till the full. Well, let's unpack this. Uh, The scripture that was read to us this morning, Romans chapter 8, is not a classic Christmas scripture. But here's why I wanted us to get into it. Now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That means there's no judgment, there's no sentence, there's no spiritual sword of Damocles hanging over our heads waiting to say, "Uh, now you're in big trouble. All that condemnation is gone. And by the way, if God doesn't condemn us, we should not condemn ourselves either. So shame can be lifted off of us if we choose to live that way. Because we belong to Jesus, now listen to this sentence, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So Jesus came to set us free. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Remember last week we talked a bit about the Ten Commandments? The, The Ten Commandments are good. And they're God's loving framework to say, listen, earthlings, you need boundaries to life. You need to know that some things are right and some things are wrong. Therefore, don't steal. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't lie. Don't be so full of envy. That's the way we, we need to relate to each other. The first four commandments are all about how we relate to God. Say, don't, don't worship cheap imitations. Just worship me. Honor me. Take a break regularly to focus on your spiritual life. All the Ten Commandments are intended for good. But the problem with human nature, as we'll see in a minute, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Even though the law is good, the commandments are good, we fail, right? Because we can't do it on our own. We are so self-centered and self-oriented. It's all about us. It doesn't work. And at best, what the law could do is point out we're moral failures. We're all moral cripples. 
You've heard it said that religion is just a crutch for people who can't make it through life. We are all spiritual paraplegics when it comes to keeping the Ten Commandments and keeping God's laws. So we're all in good company. We're all limping. We, we can't make it, right? So the good news is that Jesus has come to save us. So God, so here's our problem. The, the, the law couldn't save us. Next two words are really significant. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. So we're free. He purchases our freedom by sending Jesus for us. And he did this so that the requirements of the law could be fully satisfied. You, you know the, the, the expression, you, you do the crime, you got to do the time, right? So someone had to pay the price for the crime. And Jesus did that voluntarily for us. So we who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit, right? So that's the Christmas passage. That's the Christmas story in in this passage. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. This must have been the quietest invasion in human history. Does anyone remember 1991, I think the first Gulf War? Do you remember the expression that General Norman Schwarzkopf announced, this is how we're going to attack Iraq. It will be a matter of shock and awe. We're going to overwhelm them with our superior technology, and we're going to rout them. And so they did. They won the war very quickly. Winning the peace has proved much more difficult. But shock and awe was the expression, right? It's, man, we're going to blitz these people. And in a matter of days... They had won the military battle. God <laughs> has kind of a different approach at Christmas time. It's not so much shock and awe. There's a lot of awe. And a few people experienced the, the wow factor, the glory of God. But most, for most people, life went on as usual. Uh, oh, yeah, and there was a baby born in a little village somewhere in the backside of no place that meh, a few unimportant people witnessed. But God intervened in human history. Quietest invasion ever. Most significant invasion ever. Because all of a sudden, God made it possible for human beings to change from the inside out. God is not interested in reforming people. He's not interested in making you a little bit better. As the old farmer would say, you put a bow in a pig, it's still a pig, right? So... He's not interested in a little bit of cosmetic surgery or maybe a new paint job to spruce us up. God is in the transformation business. Transformation. Not reformation. Not making us a little bit better, but totally changing us from the inside out. And only God, the creator God who made us in the first place, is capable of doing that. So Jesus became one of us to set us free. We have very little appreciation for what Jesus gave up to become one of us. And it's hard to find a parallel to that in human history. But I think I may have found one. This is Witold Pilecki. How did I do with that, Ungar? 
Eh? Okay. Ermgard is my Polish coach. Witold Polecki was a uh, Polish army officer in World War II. Let me read you his story. In September of 1940, Witold Polecki, a Polish army captain, did the unthinkable. He snuck into Auschwitz. That's right, Auschwitz. It's a Nazi concentration camp. It was a death camp. Pilecki knew that something was terribly wrong with the concentration camp, and as a committed Christian and a Polish patriot, he could not sit by and watch. He wanted to get information on the horrors of Auschwitz, but he knew he could only do that from the inside. So his superiors approved a daring plan. They provided, they provided a false identity card with a Jewish name, and then Pilecki allowed the Germans to arrest him during a routine Warsaw street roundup, Polecki was sent to Auschwitz and assigned inmate number 4859. Polecki, a husband and father of two, later said, I said farewell to everything I had known on this earth. He became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, and threatened with death. From inside the camp, he wrote, the game I was now playing at Auschwitz was dangerous. In fact, I had gone far beyond what people in the real world would consider dangerous. I was telling the story briefly to a couple of people before the service, and they said, he actually went in there? It's true, and it gets better. Beginning in 1941, Pilecki started working on his dangerous mission. He organized the inmates into resistance units, documenting war crimes, and by 1942, it also organized a secret radio station using scrap parts. The information he supplied from inside the camp provided Western allies with key intelligence information about the camp. By the spring of 1943, Pilecki joined the camp bakery where he was over to o able to overpower a guard and escape. Once free, he finished his report estimating that around 2 million people had been killed in Auschwitz. When the reports reached London, officials thought he was exaggerating. And of course, now we know he was true. He was telling the truth. But here's how a contemporary Jewish journal summarized Pilecki's life. Once he set his mind to the good, he never wavered, never stopped. He crossed, he crossed the great human divide that separates knowing the right thing from doing the right thing. In his, Pilecki, in his report, Pilecki said, there is always a difference between saying you will do something and actually doing it. A long time before, many years before, I had worked on myself in order to be able to put the two together. Now, Pilecki certainly had the courage, but not the power, to rescue the prisoners and Auschwitz. The difference between Jesus and Vitold Pilecki is that Jesus has the power to set us free. Those who are dominated about sinful nature, they, we think about sinful things. But those of us who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, we think about things that please the Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of... Okay. Let, I'm sorry. I, I, it's not meant to be a trick question. Let, let's rewind. Let's think about the Trinity. Okay? God, Father, and who? Holy Spirit, all right? God becomes flesh, appears as Jesus on planet Earth, born as a baby at Christmas time to save us from our sins, dies. God the Father raises him from the dead, 
and then he returns to heaven. But before he returns to heaven, what does he promise? Jesus promises his friends, don't worry, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send who? Holy Spirit, the comforter, the Holy Spirit to be with us. So the Holy Spirit is with every Christian, everyone who follows Jesus. A Holy Spirit is present in their life. Talk about an amazing Christmas present. It's the whole purpose of Christmas. So that God could be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Not just one human being. That had to happen in order for Jesus to die and pay the price for our sin. But then after he left, he said, don't worry. I'm not bailing on you guys. I'm not going to desert you. I'm not going to abandon you. If any of us have ever felt abandoned, God will not abandon us. He is with us all the time. If we pay attention to him, Holy Spirit is with every Christian. So as we continue, it says, so we let, if we, if we let our sinful nature control our minds, that leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. It's worth repeating. Letting the Holy Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You want to experience life to the full? And peace in spite of your circumstances, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of your circumstances, then we let Holy Spirit control our mind and ultimately our actions. Jesus has the power to set us free. Unlike Vito Pilecki, who actually became Jewish, so to speak, in that concentration camp to find out what was going on, he didn't have the power to set those people free as much as he tried. Jesus can, and Jesus will, and Jesus has set many of us free. He's also, we are in the process of learning how to live freely. We're in the process of being set free, right? The sinful nature, our sinful nature, is always hostile to God. Never did obey laws, God's laws, never will. That's why those of us who are still under the control of our sinful nature, we can never please God. But, for those of us who are not controlled, we're not controlled by our sinful nature. If you follow Jesus, if you've been set free, we don't have to do that anymore. We're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, if you have that little pilot light of life on, all we have to do to see that pilot light go like that, we surrender to Jesus. We surrender. We say, okay, you can have it. You can have everything. And we experience life and peace. That helps us kill the sinful nature that's in us and gives us the power to make the right choices and the right decisions and follow Jesus, right? Because it's the spirit of Jesus living in us that affirms to us that we're actually God's children. And as Jesus lives in us, even though our bodies may die and wear out eventually because of sin, we're all in varying stages of decay and the older you get, the more you can relate to what I'm saying. The Spirit gives us life because we've been made right with God. Now listen, the Spirit of God 
who raised Jesus from the dead lives in who? Us. It's worth repeating. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in Are you moderately excited about that? Are you just kind of a little... Are you warming up? Now, I'm not going to whip you into some kind of emotional frenzy, but apparently, according to the Bible, word has it that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in... Wow. Glory. We need Garth's cannon to explode over us and shoot confetti. Wouldn't that be awesome? And just as God has raised Jesus Christ Jesus from the dead, He gave life, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So the, the, the God is in the resurrection business, the transformation business. It's His power that changes us. And as we submit to Him, as we say, okay, I give up, I surrender, you're the boss, then He starts changing us. He starts changing our attitudes. He starts changing the way we look at people, the way we treat people, the way we regard ourselves, the way we look at Him. He starts changing us from the inside. This is not about a self-improvement program because self-improvement programs, as good as they are, they're all about the self. Okay? This is about surrendering to the Creator who knows us from inside out, the one who designed us in the first place, the one who actually became one of us, died for us voluntarily, suffered. God raised him from the dead, and now he lives, and, and he's giving us everything we need if, if we pay attention to what he's saying to us. If we pay attention, we can access this. See, the Spirit brings life. The law and the flesh, they just... They just bring death, right? We need to learn how to use our freedom wisely. We need how to walk in freedom. It's almost like someone who's been um, incarcerated for a long time needs some kind of a transitional housing or a halfway house to learn how to live in society again. We need to learn how to live freely, how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. And we need to, we need to talk to Him all the time and saying. What do I do in this situation? Can you help me? Can you change my thinking? Can you change my attitudes? That's what we need. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. This is a significant sentence. We have no obligation to follow our, the wrong urges in our life. What we need to do when we're tempted, we need to have a little conversation. One of the first signs of sanity is that you talk to yourself, maybe not out loud in public, but you have a little conversation with yourself and say, wait, is anyone holding a gun to my head right now? Do I have to go back to the fridge to make myself feel better? Do I have to buy something to make myself feel better? Do I have to click on a certain website to escape and make myself feel better? Do I have to do that again? No. I have no obligation. I don't have to do that. God can teach me how to walk freely. He wants to set me free. In fact, Jesus died to set me free. So why do I go back to the vomit? Anybody got a pet? 
not a pleasant image, but we often, you know, oh, why, why are you recycling? We'll get you some new food. Let's not recycle it, you know? So why do we, why do we do that? Because we're locked into that old way of thinking. But Jesus died to set us free. And he wants to change us. He wants to transform us. We need to learn how to use our freedom wisely, learn how to walk in freedom, obeying the Spirit to make wise choices. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And we haven't received a Spirit that makes us fearful slaves. We don't grovel before God fearful in front of like an abusive parent, cringing, waiting to get hit again. We don't. Instead, when we follow Jesus, when we say, I surrender, I'm going to follow you, we've received God's spirit because he adopted us as his own children. God went to such great expense to adopt us into his family, to handpick us. So now we can call him Abba, which means father or daddy, papa. And his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's what gets me really excited about Christmas. I love the eating. You can tell that. And the presents and family and friends and whooping it up and confetti cannons and baby bunnies and however else we celebrate East. Christmas, those, those are fun events. But the bottom line is that our creator has become one of us so we could experience life to the fullest. That's amazing. And as we learn how to walk with his spirit, with the spirit of Jesus in us, and as we surrender, we've got to surrender every day. That's the good news and that's the bad news. The good news is that, you know, we have to surrender. It's also the bad news. It's like, ah. Oh. But it, it's good in the long run. It's hard, but you get used to it. Say, okay, Jesus, you're the boss. I will change my, I will give you the right to free me up from my addictions, my grudges, my hang-ups, my guilt, my shame, all my junk in the past, so I can keep learning how to walk free and walk with you. That's what he promises. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, I've come so that they could have life and have life to the full. Not life without problems, no, but life to the full. I want to share with you a story, uh, an email that uh, some of us have been reading. It just, to me, talks about how Jesus comes through um, when we need him. And it's not the story of everyone, but it's the story of one particular man. Um, you might remember um, Robert Naylor, who used to sit right around here uh, for the last several months visiting Elam. This is a, uh, an email from his wife, Donna. Dear Pastor Hill, this is Donna Naylor. You and your congregation adopted my husband, Robert, during his stay in Winnipeg while on his business trip from June to October. Remember he suffered a stroke in October and you asked us and you visited us in the hospital? Sorry, I'm just uh, reaching out to you now, but I lost your email and now I've recently relocated, relocated your contact information. 
So Robert was transferred by air ambulance October 27 down to John Hopkins in Baltimore. As of today, December 11, we're still here. Boy, oh boy, have we been on a roller coaster ride. We took one step forward and two steps backward. The devil continued to attack, but God always showed us that he is in control and never failed. Rob had some really close calls to near death while here. Several more mini strokes, several seizures, high fever, low blood, high fever, low blood pressure, high heart rate, fluid on the lungs, as though he were drowning. He had to be placed back in the ventilator. Huge blood clot burst and hit every organ in his blood and told all would be shutting down. Kidneys, lungs, heart, liver. He went into cardiac arrest and was pulseless for a minute and a half, dead. They were able to bring him back by CPR. Or should I say, God brought him back? Docs came in to me and said there was nothing more they could do. All his organs were shutting down, and he probably would have another cardiac arrest throughout the day or night, and probably would not survive. Plus, he told me that the ventilator was the only thing keeping him alive, because he had lost so much oxygen during that cardiac arrest, probably brain dead. Told me to sleep on it and make a decision in the morning as to whether or not to take my husband off the ventilator and life support. How could I possibly sleep in such a decision? I called her pastor to pray, and I called in the entire family to say goodbye just in case he had a cardiac arrest. After everyone left, I talked to Robert all night. I told him how I loved him. I told him I, if he was tired and needed to go home to glory, I would be okay and could take care of our family. I told him if he needed to still fight, then fight. Tears started rolling down his face and began biting on the ventilator tube. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but brain-dead men don't cry or show emotion. His vital signs started improving and did a 180-degree turn. Blood pressure went up. Heart rate began getting normal. No cardiac arrest. He survived that dreadful night. And my answer, of course, was no, not taking him off the ventilator. A week of dialysis. Kidneys are functioning. Liver counts are up. No more cardiac arrest. No more seizures. Every day, he continued to fight and improve. And I was his advocate, wife, guardian, guardian. And power of attorney. I am proud to say that on this day, nearly two months later, Robert is off the ventilator for good, off of all monitors, off of all IV medications, walking, eating soft foods, using the bathroom on his own, taking showers, brushing his own teeth, doing well with physical and occupational therapy. He's still nonverbal and is a long road ahead, but has come so far. And just received word today that he's been accepted to a rehab center only 20 minutes from our home, which is such a blessing to our family, just in time for Christmas to be home. So she sent a few photos of Rob. There's them in front of the Christmas tree and Johns Hopkins after this incident. And she wanted me especially to show this to you, of them standing in front of this statue of Jesus. Maybe you should, we should get one of these. But uh, it's just significant in seeing that, that God has given this man life. And uh, early this morning, uh, Donna sent me another uh, picture 
that I won't share with you today, but even Rob on a rehab bicycle, getting back to where he's supposed to be. Um, I just wanted to share this story with you because no, no, it doesn't happen for everyone sometimes. God knows when our days are numbered, right? But the ultimate thing in this story that Donna wanted me to share with you folks, first of all, thank you so much for praying for Robert. The point she wanted to make is as good as the medical care is in North America, our medical professionals don't know everything. Ultimately, God is in charge. And God gives life. Those docs were well-intentioned, and they said, get ready to say goodbye to your husband. But brain-dead men don't cry and don't react like Robert did. So that's good news. This same God who brought life to Robert Naylor can transform every one of us today through the power of his Holy Spirit. Maybe we're not facing a dramatic physical challenge like Robert did, but whatever challenge you're facing, whatever it is, and everybody's got stuff, so don't pretend you don't, God is there with us. And when we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, when we surrender, when we learn to walk with him, this life-giving spirit, as I quoted in Romans 8, verse 3, the spirit that gives life is giving life to us as well. So we're going to close the service by singing that song again in a byre, in a barn near Bethlehem. Now, why are we going to sing it? Come on up, worship team. Why are we going to sing it again? Well, the first time through, we learned it. The second time through, I want us to sing it and experience it. It was, I was telling somebody in the worship team, this is a song, this is a Christmas carol. It's not your classic Christmas carol, but it's a Christmas carol for the back lane and the back alley of life. It's not necessarily pretty or sweet or whatever or fancy. It's just kind of gritty and real, and that's why I like the lyrics to it. Because the incarnation is very fleshly. God with us. Not nice and way up there and otherworldly, but right here, right where we need him. In hospital rooms, in back alleys, in any challenging place you face in life, God with us. That's the promise of Christmas. That's the guarantee of Christmas. And that's what we're celebrating. Jesus came to bring life, health, and laughter uh, for all of us. If you want to access this, first of all, say, I surrender. Okay? Hands up, don't shoot. I, I surrender. All right? And you'll be able to enter into his family. Keep saying that every day. It'll get easier. It may be harder some days, but keep saying it every day as you follow him, and he will change you from the inside out. That's what I'm working on this Christmas and into 2015. If you want to join me, it's great. Join the parade. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming so we could have life and experience it to the full. 
Thank you so much for becoming one of us. We marvel at that. We don't deserve it. We revel in your love. And now we crave, we earnestly ask for your presence with us, that you remind us through your spirit that you're with us. Help us to obey your promptings and keep changing us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. If we don't see you Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas and Joy Noel.